All right. Well, good morning again. Glad you made it on this rainy Labor Day weekend. Uh, between the ages of 15 and 21, a man named, or really a boy who became a man named Frank Abagnale Jr., he impersonated a doctor, a pilot, a Harvard Law graduate, many other things, and he developed a real talent for forging checks. You may have seen the movie Catch Me If You Can, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, one of my favorite movies personally. He had stolen, by the time he was 21, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 2.5 million, which today is about $2.5 trillion dollars. Um, in 1969, just kidding, um, inflation, right? But in 1969, he was eventually caught. And he did about 12 years in federal prison, and they shortened his sentence, and you may know why, because the FBI wanted him to help them catch thieves like him. He was the best thief they knew, and it takes a thief to know a thief. And in 2017, he spoke at Google uh, just to kind of answer questions about what his job is like, with all the changes in technology. And one of the questions that one of the employees at Google asked him and said, is it harder today to steal with all the advances in, of technology? Is it more difficult than in your day? And he said this, stealing is 4,000 times easier than it was when I did it. Technology breeds crime. It always has and it always will. And there always will be those who use technology in a self-serving way. So I didn't check his math, but in 2021, some 20% of Americans were victims of identity theft. In our neck of the woods, our own pastor and his family had multiple catalytic converters stolen out of their vehicles in the last couple years. Apparently, uh, the thieves needed more platinum, palladium, and rhodium. In their lives, they had a big palladium-shaped hole in their life. Um, has anyone ever had anything stolen from them? A lot of us. So the Ten Commandments are God's perennial map to the good life, according to God. Not the easy life, but the good life. He gives us a map. Here's how to move through the madness of our moment. God gives us a map. And in this map, in these rules for life, he forbids stealing. Do not steal. It's a pretty basic one on the one hand, but I think as we've been seeing throughout this series, uh, that there's something deeper. And uh, in Khaled's, Khaled Hussini's novel, uh, a very famous novel called Kite Runner. You may have seen the movie. It was set in war-torn Afghanistan. And this main character, Baba, he says something very insightful about stealing in general that I want you to see in this quick clip. تنها یک گناه وجود داره و او دوزیست هر گناه دیگه یک نوعی از دوزیست ایران بفهمی؟ نه بابا جان وقتی تو یک کسی را میکشی یک زندگی را دوزی میکنی از زنش حق شوهر داشتن را دوزی میکنی 
از اولادایش حق پدر داشتن رو توضیح میکنی وقتی به کسی دروغ میگی حق راستی رو ازش توضیح میکنی هیچ عمل زشتر از دوزی وجود نداره متوجه شدی؟ بله بابا آفرین این بحث گناه توشنه ترم ساخت I love using that in church this is kind of fun um, He said stealing is the sin underneath all the other ones This is why God gave us this rule for our lives. It's that important. And I want to explore why thieves steal before I show you how. And then I want to end with how God deals with robbers. How does he treat robbers? So how we steal, why we do it, and how God, what he does with robbers. Uh, with that said, I wonder if you might stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Romans 13. Deuteronomy 5:19 and you shall not steal. Romans 13:7 pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we hear the rain falling, we think about our yards, we think about the plants outside and just how thirsty they are for this, this water. And Lord, many of us come to church thirsty for you, but many of us don't. And I just pray now, Lord, that you would till the soil of our hearts, that you would prepare them to hear from you. Lord, all I can do is water, but Lord, you bring the growth. And so Holy Spirit, come and grow us into the kinds of people that you want us to be, giving, compassionate, lovers of God and people. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is why thieves steal. Stealing is basic. So we, all you have to do is ask the parents in the room. Mom and dad, did you have to teach your children to do this? Check this out. There's a couple of coos you take them. Come standard with every child. We don't have to teach a child to steal, and it, we really have to unlearn stealing as adults. We have to be disciplined out of it, right? So why do we steal? Why do people, why do thieves steal anything? Thieves steal because deep down, they feel that they don't have enough. 
The little boy didn't have enough drumsticks, so he stole his dad's. The little girl didn't have enough cake, so she stole the birthday girl's cake. And at the bottom of every robber's motivation is a nagging feeling of insufficiency. I don't have enough. Identities are stolen when someone believes their identity is not enough to get what they want. A plagiarist feels that their ideas aren't good enough, and so they take another's. In Romans 13, God tells us that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Because the heart's economy is in this constant state of recession, thieves try to shore up their losses by taking what's not theirs. This is why God has to command his people not to steal. Because enoughness is scarce. It's scarce in every person, in every child, in every adult. Especially in a world that hums merrily along on more and more and more. That's why thieves steal. We don't have enough. We don't feel like we have enough. So how? That's what we're going to turn to next. How thieves steal. Do not steal, God says. Clear enough, right? And you may have noticed that unlike a lot of the other commandments so far in this series, uh, this commandment is broad rather than specific. So, for example, honor your parents specifically. Do not commit adultery, which happens in the specific context of marriage. But God says, do not steal full stop. However, God does elaborate on this commandment in a couple key places that I want us to check out together. First, in Exodus 22, uh, God prohibits stealing property. Let's look at that. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So you know that the Bible was written in an agrarian economy, not a market economy. And so people homesteaded not because it was trendy, but because they had to, to survive. Most everyone was absorbed in working the land. Only a few very wealthy people didn't have to farm and hunt. Uh, Thus, stealing property like sheep or oxen like this gentleman had uh, was very common because people felt they didn't have enough, and so they took from their neighbors. And so while God does prohibit the stealing of property, he cares much more deeply about relationships than he does about our things. For for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, God says this, If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So why was God so strict on kidnapping? Because when someone was kidnapped and sold into slavery, they were taken out of Israel and out of the covenant community. God cares so deeply about his people that if you kidnapped someone and sold them into slavery, you were taken out of his community, out of his family. And so this is why he is so serious about this. God cares much more deeply about his people than he does about property. 
But do we? Do we? If we assessed our personal bank accounts, would it reflect this fierce prioritization of relationships over stuff? God always prioritizes relationships, but his people often miss the mark. Do we not? To demonstrate this, I want to share part of a list from an author. His name is Trevin Wax, and he just shares a few ways, and I add one. Um, but these, this isn't a comprehensive list, but uh, thieves do at least the following things. Okay? Thieves cheat on taxes. Thieves steal time from their employer by not putting in a full day's work. Thieves steal time from their employees by demanding more hours than allowed by their contract. Thieves gouge prices. Thieves exaggerate the value of a product. Thieves don't give to the needy. And here's one more I added. Thieves steal the gift of attention. Thieves steal from their families. They steal their time. As Frank Abendale said, people will always find a way to use technology in a self-serving way. And I want you to do just a little thought experiment. If your children or your spouse were asked the question, does daddy, does mommy, does your roommate, does your, does your spouse spend too much time on their device, what would they say? Do you show them, do we show them that they are more important than this thing? Do we prove it to them? The struggle is real, guys. It's real for me. It's probably real for you. But again, this author, Trevin Wax, he helped me to see that theft isn't just this way, isn't just sideways, it's actually this way too. We actually end up robbing God when we're prideful. We rob him of glory. When we take credit for the good things in our lives, we steal from God because everything good in our lives is from his hand. There's one place, though, that it says verbatim that we rob God. And it's in Malachi chapter 3. And in this context, God had called the Israelites uh, to repentance. And he says that they were robbers because they weren't tithing. They weren't tithing. So he said this is one of the ways that they had broken his commandments there at the top. Look, we didn't time this very well because last week was the end of the fiscal year, so uh, we should have preached this last week, but um, no, 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 this isn't about shame or guilt. This is just about this idea that we can often hoard our stuff that God gives us, our finances, rather than give it away. It's his anyway. Remember, Paul reminds us that love compels us not to steal, not to hoard our things. Love for God, love for our neighbor, love for God's church, for his kingdom work. And so tithing isn't supposed to be this cool and calculated 10%. Look, I did my, I did my 10%, so I'm good, I'm off the hook, God. 
So what does love look like on a budget spreadsheet? C.S. Lewis is helpful. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charity's expenditure excludes them. You see, we're prone to steal from anyone, God included, because we feel, we have this nagging sense that we do not have enough, that we are not enough. And so we spend too much time on this because if I just send another email, then I'll be enough. If I just work a little bit more, then my coworkers will respect me enough. If I just get that thing, if I get that new mountain bike, that's something I really want because I live in mountain bike heaven. But I don't have one yet, and I really want one. But what if not yet? What if somebody else in my life needs that money that I would have devoted to a mountain bike to pay their bills, to pay their mortgage because they're falling behind? I don't know what it is for you, but there's so many issues in here for me. So many ways I steal from my family. So many ways I steal from God. Maybe you do too. It turns out that when we hear God's commandment not to steal, we listen to him as thieves in church clothes. This is a cheerful one, right? Like, I'm glad I came to church. It isn't cheerful until you know what God does with robbers. Let's turn there next. In Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers were filled with jealousy against their brother. They hated him. He was daddy's favorite. And so they ended up kidnapping him and selling him into slavery. And he eventually wound up in a prison in Egypt for several years. How do you think he felt? How do you think he felt? Those closest to him, those who should have protected him and loved him, sold him, abused him. Some of you don't have to think very hard about how he felt. Time and joy were stolen from you by an abusive person or a toxic relationship. But I want to remind you how Joseph's story ends. Joseph, the victim, the prisoner, the one who was kidnapped, was led by God and loved by God. And he eventually rose to power to become the second in command in all of Egypt. And when famine came, and threatened to steal the lives of his brothers and fellow Israelites and really the whole surrounding ancient Near East, God had used him to develop this system. He spoke to him in a dream and said, store up for the coming famine. And he listened, he obeyed, just like he had always done. 
And then when all the food in the surrounding countries ran out, including in Israel, including in his brother's hometown, they had nowhere else to go. And so they went to Egypt desperate for help, just anything to help them survive this famine. And when they approached Joseph, they didn't recognize him. And you know, he had every right to deny food to his kidnappers, right? That would have been just. But as they approached Joseph, his kidnappers fell down and they pleaded with him. And they recognized him. And Joseph looked upon his kidnappers with forgiving tears in his eyes and said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he gave them everything that they needed, these thieves needed to live. Friends, this is but a figment of the love of Christ for us. You know that Luke's gospel is the only gospel of the four that records the identity of the persons that were just beside Jesus as he was crucified. Do you remember who they were? They were two robbers. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And one of them was saved by Jesus in their last hour. But one of them refused to call upon Jesus for mercy. You see, we will all die as thieves, every one of us. But the question is, will you be with him in paradise? Will you? It comes down to whether or not you believe that Jesus is enough to save you. That's what it comes down to. Is Jesus enough? If he is, Jesus will look upon you and say, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice that the thief did not say, hey, remember um, that I went to church a lot and I read your Bible, your good, your good word, and I did a lot of nice things and I tithed my 10% and I gave to people in need. No, no, no. Like Joseph's brothers, he owned his sinfulness. He owned his theft and his thievery. He didn't make excuses for being judged for his crimes. And then he said to Jesus, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. In other words, he believed Jesus is enough to save him. Jesus is the king. Jesus is our rescuer. Do you believe that? We read it earlier in John 10, and there's a place where Jesus compares himself to a thief who steals, kills, and destroys. And Jesus identifies the thief at the beginning of that passage as those who came before, all who came before me. 
At the end of chapter 9, he condemns uh, the Pharisees' mistreatment of a man uh, who had been born blind. Jesus condemns them for mistreating this man, saying he was, he was healed on the Sabbath. And so they, they just ran him out. Of course it's enough of God, because you broke the fourth commandment, Jesus. You can't do that. But this man knew what Jesus had done for him, and he couldn't stop talking about it. And they just wanted to silence him. And then in chapter 10, Jesus tells three parables, which was contrasting his spiritual leadership with the leadership of the leaders, the the religious leaders of the day, the ones who had mistreated this man born blind. Also, this word thief is used in the Old Testament in a number of places. And I'll give you just one example as a metaphor for religious leaders. This is Jeremiah 7. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. All that to say, Satan isn't even mentioned in either chapter. What I'm getting at is this. Religion kills, steals, and destroys. But Jesus heals. He gives you the abundant life and he restores. Religion can't save you. Doing good for others is good, but it can't save. It's not enough. Jesus alone. You see, the religious leaders, they went to great lengths to keep people out of the kingdom. If you don't do this and this and that, see the doors over there. But Jesus went out of his way to say to the least likely people, I want you in my kingdom. Are we more like the religious leaders? Do we say to people on social media, you have to believe this, this, and that? You have to vote this way? You have to think this way? Or you can't be my friend? Or are we going to be like Jesus who went to the greatest thief's house? A man named Zacchaeus. No one wanted him around. Everyone shunned him. He was excluded by everyone, especially the religious leaders. But what did Jesus do? He went after him. See, religion excludes, but Jesus includes. Religion steals, but Jesus heals. Jesus went all the way to the cross to bring the least likely people into his kingdom. Thieves like us. You see, Jesus not only didn't steal, he not only kept the law of love perfectly, he gave everything. And that's why we're to do the same. Eugene Peterson said this, God gives 
He is generous. He is lavishly generous. That is God's way. He did it with his own son, Jesus. He gave him away. He gave him to the nations. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Some things we have a choice in, some we don't. In this we don't. It is the kind of world into which we are born. God created it, sustains it. Giving is the style of the universe. Giving is woven into the fabric of existence. If we try to live by getting instead of giving, we're going against the grain. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Everyone around him wanted to exclude. Everyone around him wanted to shun. Why? Because he was taking. He was taking. He was skimming off the top. But when Jesus showed up, he just wanted a gift to him. Give the gift of attention to a man no one wanted around. Give the gift of hospitality. I'm coming to your house. I'm hanging out with you. Of all the people in the kingdom, he wanted to hang out with the worst thief. Do we? Are we like him? If the presence of religion begets stealing and exclusion, it's the presence of Jesus who begets radical generosity and love for all people. Not just some people, not people who think and act like you, but love for all. That's the love of Christ, friends. That's the giving and forgiving love of Jesus that we are called to enjoy, but also called to share. Are you going to share that love? It's yours. Or are you going to hoard it? Are you going to give it away freely like he gave it to you? Or are you going to just take it for yourself and say, I'm in. I do my things. I I do the religious thing and I'm good. Is that the life? Is that the abundant life that you really want? Is that the abundant life that Jesus promises? Zacchaeus was one man in history whose life was radically transformed by the gospel of grace. Yours can be too. Our families need our lives to be changed like this man's by the presence of Jesus. Not the presence of religion. Not just going to church because, check, I went to church. Not just tithing because, check, I tithe. Not just reading my Bible because, check, I read the Bible. We read the Bible, we pray, we give. We show up for people's lives because it's a means to an end. You know what that end is? The presence of Jesus. When we give, we don't just give because we, it clears a guilty conscience. We give because he gave. When we turn off our phones or if we need to break them for God's sake, we do it because our families matter more than this thing. Jesus proves that people matter most, not our performance. 
what a good God he is. That I can stand up here as a thief, but as one who's forgiven and loved just like you. I want to give you just one thing. It's Labor Day weekend, and I know we got rings of power to watch. If you haven't watched it, it's amazing. We got lots to do. But I just want to encourage you. One of the biggest heists of religion is to disconnect Sunday from Monday. This weekend, you have a little bit more time than usual. Consider a way or two that you can restore something that you've taken from your neighbor, something that you've taken from your family, something that you've taken from God. Maybe it's just time from God. You haven't given him time. Let him restore you. He loves you so much. He would die in between two thieves. That's a lot. And so spend time with him. Maybe some of you need to call someone up and ask for forgiveness for something that you stole from them. Looking at you guys, it probably wasn't money. Maybe it was something greater. I don't know what it is that you need to do to ask for forgiveness, to start that process of restoration that Jesus has us all on, that Jesus invites us into, this abundant life of restoration and healing and giving and love. But I do know this, that Jesus loves thieves Jesus even loves thieves in church clothes. And so spend time with him. Run to him. Let him transform you. And let Lord Jesus transform me into a more giving and forgiving person. Let's begin now. Let's pray. Jesus, someone else could have preached a much better sermon, but there is no better news in all the world. There is no greater love in all the world than the one that we find in Jesus. And I just give you praise for that. I give you praise for grace. This church family that reminds me week in and week out that I am loved that I am enough, not because of my talents, but because of Jesus. I pray for every person in this room, every person watching from home or listening later on, that they would know that in Jesus they have enough. In Jesus, they are sufficient. And so help us, Lord, to be people who are radically generous people who prioritize people over things, people who love well, people who listen to you, listen to each other, and restore what's been stolen. Help us to be people of Jesus, not people of religion, for that is where life is found, the abundant life, now and forever. We pray this in his name. Amen.